¡Gloria a Dios! Porque nada es imposible para Dios. ¡Que Dios te bendiga! ¡Jesús es el Señor y amo! ¡Amén! Pardon me, I thought I was still in California. Forgive me. <laughs> what a blessing to be here tonight. Pastor, thank you so much for letting me be here. I love you. Thank you so much. I just want to tell you thank you for um, coming here tonight. I um, have wanted to speak to, I wish I had a, an hour to have a cup of coffee with everyone that's here tonight. And so if I haven't got to greet you or hug you, I, isn't that I don't want to, I just haven't gotten to you yet. And uh, I just want to tell you that I love you. And you can be in the middle of God's will and still love the people that God had placed you with previously. And I just want to let you know that Kelly and I love you deeply. And um, when we're on the beach, we think of you often. When we're snow skiing, your name comes to mind. When our heat bill is $10 for the month, <laughs> visions of you come up in our brains. <laughs> but we love and miss you. And um, my wife wishes badly, badly that she could be here. And uh, she's unable to be here. And I want to let you know you are safe tonight. Kelly gave me a list of what I can say and what I can't. <laughs> um, So I just want to tell you that, although we know that we're right in the middle of what God's will, um, we'll never do anything more important than the seven years that we spent here at Crown Point Church. And uh, thank you for being here tonight. And before I get into the word, I want to say thank you to some special people. Kelly and I had the blessing to be here at Crown Point for about seven years. And then we had the blessing to be at Tiffany Fellowship, my uh, church that I grew up at, for six years as the youth pastor. And we have some folks here from Tiffany Fellowship tonight. So if you're from Tiffany Fellowship, my good-looking mom's here and Grandma Ada and some other. If you're from Tiffany Fellowship, Frank and Jimmy here, would you stand up? Would you welcome these folks from Tiffany Fellowship? Um, tonight, I just want to tell you that, uh, just give you a really brief update because we want to get in the Word, amen? amen. Um, Kelly and I have been blessed uh, We've now been about a year and a half at uh, Water of Life Community Church in Fontana, California, and uh, I oversee about 100 to 200 small groups, and on the weekend we have about 16 services, and my other title is venue pastor, and they will assign pastors over other venues where they're the head pastor, and I'm able to preach at different venues, and uh, my wife works at California Baptist University. Uh, she used to be at a university out here, and God brought her out there. Everybody say, God bless the Baptist. Those folks love the Lord. She works at one of the fastest growing Christian universities in America, and God is just a blessing that uh, ministry there, but um, it's good to be home. This is home, Amen. and uh, we're glad that you're here tonight. Well, tonight what I want to do is I don't want to give you an update or a show and tell. I want to get into the Word. Can I get an amen? amen. If you'll permit me, I want to get into your seat. We have 21 pastors at Water of Life Church, and I don't mean I'm not saying that I'm the best preacher, but they're all Californian preachers. I'm the only non-Californian. And so I don't know what it is, but uh, Californians, they just, they're different. You know, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's, like, it's like we went to a different country, but they speak English. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
I've been amped up to preach tonight. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 103. And tonight, I can remember uh, when God gave me this word to preach to you tonight. I've never shared this with anybody. I've never preached this at Water of Life, at Tiffany Fellowship, at, at Crown Point Church. Uh, in fact, last Friday night, we had a meeting for all of our small group leaders, all the leaders that I oversee, and we were giving them vision and, and, and trying to equip them and train them. And I got up last Friday night, and this is the truth. I said, we need to make sure that as small group leaders, we're representing the testimony and, and the honest to goodness representation of Christ at Crown Point Church in Fontana, California. <laughs> and my leaders haven't let me forget. <laughs> Tonight I want to speak to you a word that I believe that God's put deep on my heart for you. Deep. I want to speak to you tonight on this one thought, apprehending your promises. Now you're going to notice that we've got five points in this sermon tonight, five points in this message, and every single one of them says this, God has intended, and then there's a point. And I'm going to challenge your theology maybe tonight. Not everything that God intends takes place or happens. In fact, there are numerous things that... Hi, Thelma. How are you doing? I didn't see you and Shirley. Good to see you. Bless you. Hi, Shirley. I didn't even see you there. Amen. I'll tell you... Okay, amen. So... Let me get back here. So not everything that God wants to happen, not everything that God intends to happen, happens. If you have your Bible, 2 Peter 3, 9 says that God wills that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. What, what's that say? God wills that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. Unfortunately, everyday people perish without the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life and to give it more abundantly. But how many of us know believers that, amen, how many of us know believers that they don't have the abundant life? Galatians chapter five, verse one says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. But there's believers in this room tonight that aren't walking in freedom. And so just because God intends something doesn't mean that it happens. Every one of us, as sons and as daughters of Christ, we have a responsibility. If we're going to have God's very best for our life, Richard, how are you doing? Okay, now i got to stop here for a moment. We've got these wonderful people from Tiffany. And my very first church, when I graduated Bible college, I mean, I had hair. I mean, I mean it was way... Richard was in my youth ministry as soon as I graduated. Richard, would you stand up? Could we welcome Richard here tonight? Get up there, Richard. That blesses me that you're here tonight, Richard. Hi, Melanie. Melanie's a woman of God, by the way. I'll tell you why later. Okay. So what I want to talk to you about tonight is we've got to apprehend our promises. If you want to have God's very best for your life, you have got to apprehend your promises. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn me to Psalm 103 tonight, and we're going to be looking at these first five verses. Psalm 103, and we're going to be looking at verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And it, here's what the word says. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, 
who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Tonight, I just want to tell you that God wants to blow the doors off your life. God wants to bless your life uh, over and abundantly in your finances and your body and your marriage and your relationships, but it's never going to happen. God's done everything he's going to do, but you and I, to have God's very best, we've got to apprehend our promises. Good preaching, Barry. Good preaching. Okay, so let's have a word of prayer here tonight. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that it brings life, it brings joy, it brings peace, and God, it brings restoration. Lord, we just thank you that you're a God of hope and possibility. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that the overwhelming grace and life of God would just flow here tonight. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So let me talk to you about five things that God has intended for you and for me. Let's look at number one here. Here's the very first one. God has intended for you to be blessed. Look at verse number two. It says, forget not all his benefits. Everybody say all. All. Look at your neighbor and say all. All. Look at your neighbor one more time and say all baby. God wants you to have all of his benefits. And so here's the very first one. God has intended for you to be blessed. Can I get an amen? Amen. Don't we serve a great God that he intends for us to be blessed? You know what? So many times people get a, a false or a religious spirit and they feel guilty for being blessed. You should never feel guilty for being blessed. God wants you blessed. God wants you to have favor. And I want you to see the first principle under that. It's very simple, and it's very simply this. You will never go to God with your needs if you don't believe God is bigger than your needs. If you came here tonight and you have not had a time of prayer today, you have just sent a message to God with your actions, my needs are too big for you. If you've come through this day and you put your head on your pillow, and you've not had a time of prayer with God, you have just said with your actions, I don't need you. Prayer is a dependency on God. And and I like what Genesis 1-1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what's so good about that? Anything that you or me are facing tonight, any problem with our spouse, any problem with our job, if God created the heavens and the earth, he can create an answer for anything we're facing. If God created the heavens and the earth, he can deal with your husband. Amen by myself. If God, if God created the heavens and the earth, he can heal any heart. How many of you have seen all over our nation? How many of you have seen all over our nation where they have courthouses? And what are they taking down at courthouses? Ten Commandments. How many of you have heard where they've had public buildings where they're taking the Lord's name off? They're taking off our Christian heritage. In Fontana, California, God's just been moving. And different people from our city council go to our church. Our church has an inner city ministry that 
reaches out to the uh, inner city homeless and poor. No agency clothes the poor, feeds the homeless secular or federal or state or city, like the church. And do you know what the city council just did in the city of Fontana, California? One of the most liberal areas of the United States of America. They just changed the, mo- the official model for the city of Fontana, California in 2012. You know what they just added? Fontana, California, in God we trust. Amen. They just added it. Amen. And so, friends, I want to tell you something, that God, he can create the answers. Now, I want you to look at the second principle right below that. And this is the one reason I'm thankful that I'm not still on staff here, because after I say this next thing, you might not, you might not come back next week of us speaking. Here's, what it, here's the second principle. Not tithing is a result of not knowing how good God is. Ooh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Woo! Let me tell you, people that don't tithe, they can love God. People that don't tithe, they can be joyful. People that don't tithe, they can be nice. People that don't tithe, they can be hospitable. But people that don't tithe, I promise you they have not a complete knowledge of how good God is. When you know how good God is, you're blessed to tithe. Can I borrow an amen tonight? Can I just borrow one tonight? Maybe just... When, when, when people really know how good God is, Ephesians 1.19 says, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power at work within us. Yes. Glory a Dios. Yes. When you know how good God is, you're scared not to tithe. When you know how good God is, you can't wait to tithe because you know that God's gonna bless you. You know that you're honoring God. You know that you're honoring God with, we call it putting legs to your prayers. Friends, tonight I want you to know that God wants you to be blessed. God has intended for you to be blessed. Everybody repeat after me. God has intended for me to be blessed. Amen. Let's look at number two. I want you to look here at verse number three. It says that he forgives all of your sins. Number two, God has intended for you to be free from sin's bondage. God has intended for you to be free. Free. Free from sin's bondage. Does anybody know the rate of people when Billy Graham, we, we can all agree that Billy Graham's the greatest evangelist America's ever seen, amen? Anybody wanna guess the rate of people that when they came to a Billy Graham crusade, once they put their faith in Christ, that they stayed believers? Anybody want to guess what that is? 10%. And you know, what happens is people come to Jesus, but they don't receive his power. They don't get alone with him where they can get set free. And there are certain things that each one of us are doing in our private life that we need freedom from. Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is worth more than silver or gold. A good name is worth more than silver or gold. So let me give you a couple of principles. First of all, if you, oh man, this is powerful. If you yield to something, you're filled with it. I want you to get that tonight. Here's this first principle under the second point. If you yield to something, you're gonna be filled with it. Men, if you yield to lust, you're gonna be filled with it. Ladies, if you yield to gossip, you're gonna be filled with it. If you yield to unforgiveness, 
You're going to be filled with it. Whatever we yield to, we get filled with. Now, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe in miracles and signs and wonders and people being resurrected from the dead uh, and God supernaturally changing things. You know how that takes place? We yield to the Holy Spirit. But it also works with the forces of darkness. Listen to me, friends. You can be saved and still be in bondage. Bondage to pain, addiction, you name it. The key to getting free is to stop yielding. You are filled with what you yield to. You're filled with what you yield to. So if we want to become more godly, we start yielding to worship. We start yielding to wholesome talk. We start yielding to healthy things that come through our eyes and come through our ears. If we want to be the men and women God wants us to be, then we've got to make sure that we're yielding to the right things. Man, I'm preaching better than you're amening tonight. I'm going to start preaching in Spanish. I don't know what's... Second point right below that. There won't be success in your life or success in the mission without submission. Now, can I tell you how I always spot the most godly people? They're the easiest to submit to authority. I'm telling you, I can spot the most godly people. What's Romans 13.1 say? Romans 13.1 says that we should all submit to the governing authorities above us. We should all submit to the governing authorities. So you know what I've noticed is that I'll see a man or a woman, and let's say uh, my pastor, Pastor Newby, will um, ask them to do something, and immediately they bristle up. That tells me they're an immature believer. Because men and women of God, they submit to the authorities that are above them. Now, if Pastor Newby says, we're going to start cutting chickens uh, in two and, and offer uh, altar sacrifices, well, then you might not want to submit to him. <laughs> but he's not going to say that. I just want to be honest with you. There's times in my life I've dealt with great guilt. And where the devil attacks me, well, Barry, you're a pastor. You shouldn't let that happen in your life. How dare you be an ordained minister of the gospel and you say this or do this? And tonight I'm gonna to tell you how to get free. Amen? Amen. They wanna know how to have freedom? I need three volunteers. I need three people that would really like to just come up here and help us. Thank you, Richard. I see that hand. I need two more, two more volunteers here tonight. Joe, thank you so much. Uh, Right there, come on up here, brother. Dustin, come on up here. Thank you so much. Give it up for these three guys volunteering here tonight. Amen. Thank you so much. Okay, now I want you guys to come on up here. Dustin Doty, Joe Thompson, Richard Davenport. And here's what I want you to, because we're talking about God has intended for you to be free from sin, free from guilt, free from shame. So I want you to imagine here, we've got Joe Thompson here, okay? Now, I want you to imagine that Joe is a priest, that he's living for God. I know this is hard for you to believe, but that Joe, he, he, he's serving God. He's pleasing God. He's an Old Testament priest. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. He's a Levite. So, Joe, I want you to come over here. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. Richard, I want you to get down on all fours, please. Okay, just get on down there, Richard. Okay. 
You know, when you're a youth pastor for somebody, you can just do these type of things. Okay, now look up at everybody and smile. Richard is the lamb. Okay, everybody got that? Richard's the lamb. Okay, and Dustin is a full-out, sin-filled reprobate. Straight out, he's robbing people. He's doing all types of sinful things that I don't even want to mention to you. Okay? And so Dustin, here's what happens in the Old Testament. I want, to get you, I want you to get this because for some reason, so many Christians lose sight of the Old Testament in New Testament life. So in the Old Testament, you've got the priest. He's the Levite. He's the mediator. You've got, look out there and smile. You've got the lamb. And you've got the sinner. He feels guilty. He's yoked with shame, pornography. You name whatever you struggle with. He's got it. So here's what happened in the Old Testament. Put your hand on Richard. The sinner brings the lamb to the priest. Now let me show you what the priest does. The priest comes over. He knows the sinner is filled with sin. I want you to get this. He knows that the sinner has done unspeakable things, horrible things. And so I want you to move away, Dustin. Come over here, Joe. You know what the priest does? He's examining the lamb. He knows the sinner. He's not examining the sinner. He's not questioning the sinner. The, the priest is looking at the lamb. And so the sinner has no part in his justification. It's the lamb that covers him. And if you're here tonight and you're feeling guilty over sins you've committed, you're here tonight, you're feeling guilty over things you've given into in your life, the reason we can have freedom is not because of us as sinners, but because God gave the lamb. But this time it's not a, 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 a lamb that has to be given perpetually, but it's a lamb that was given once and for all. And Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Amen. Do you guys got the mental picture here? Give it up for these three guys. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Richard. I love you, bro. <laughs> you see, what God does is when we're dealing with our sin and shame, here's what the devil tries to do. He always tries to get us focused on us. Our only role is to turn to the lamb. And then Jesus covers the sin. And you know what happens? I've seen well-intentioned people that get in serious bondages and you know what happens? They get focused on what they can do. And it's our faith in what Christ has done that brings people freedom. Hallelujah. You know what I heard uh, Terry Virgo say one time? He said this, we're not saved by how we behave. We're saved by how we believe. Right. Now, once we believe, then we do good works. But we're not saved by those. Let me give you here Principle number two, there won't be success in the mission without submission. Let's look at God as intended. Point number three, God is intended for your marriage to be whole. Look at verse number four. It says, he redeems your life from the pit. Oh, man. If all of us would be honest, there are times that our marriage has got into the pit. Can I ask for an amen? Just a quiet one. I know we're in church and we try to put our front on, but at times, all of our marriages have got into the pit. All of them. And God intends for our marriages to be whole. I wanna give you two principles. First of all, your marriage covenant is between you and God. Now, you know what the difference is for non-believers? Non-believers, they operate where their covenant, their marriage covenant is between husband and wife, right? 
They're non-believers. They're not saved. They, they don't have a personal relationship with God. The covenant is between them. But for those whose faith is in Christ, here's what happens. The covenant is between them and God. Now, I want to tell you something. I love Kelly. And can I tell you, I might not be the best preacher. I'm not the best looking preacher. I'm not the most wealthy preacher. But man, can I select a mate? And that's one of the greatest keys to having a great marriage is mate selection. Some of you say amen and some of you say oh my. But you know what happens? I guarantee when I'm pleasing God with my marriage, I don't even have to worry about Kelly because I'm going to please her. If I'm pleasing God, if what I think and what I say and how I act privately and what I allow my eyes to view and my ears to hear, to see and the people I allow myself to be around and influence me as a man, if that is pleasing God, if I'm keeping that covenant with God, everything's going to be great with me and Kelly. Everything. What I want to do tonight, in just a moment, we're going to show this video. If we can get that video ready to roll. It's gonna skip once, but just stay with it. Don't shut it down. I wanna speak just really honest. I believe God's given me a really rhema poignant word for everyone here tonight. If you've been divorced, let me give you some good news. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of the greatest pastors in America have been divorced. Anybody ever heard of Joel Osteen? His father who built Lakewood Church, Pastor John Osteen, he was divorced. Anybody ever heard of John Hagee? Pastor's a little church of about 20,000 in San Antonio. He was divorced. We serve a God that has the power to turn hellacious circumstances into powerful testimonies. So if you've been divorced, I'm not speaking condemnation over you. Man, praise God. Genesis 50, 20, what the devil intended for harm, God turns around and uses for good. For those of you that are married, God's intended for your marriage to be whole. If you're married tonight, I don't care where you're at, God can heal your marriage. And what I want to do is I want to show you a video clip of two of my friends at Water Life Church. Uh, Glenn Rougeau, he's one of our greeters and ushers, and Marie Rougeau uh, is one of the gals in our church that just serves and loves on people. And I want you to see what happens. Remember when I talked about what you yield to, you're filled with? This is what happens when you yield to the miraculous power of God. We're Glenn and Marie Rougeau. We've been married for about 16, 16 and a half years now. Um, we met about 20 years ago when I met Glenn. We, he had two wonderful sons and then together we have three um, wonderful daughters. We met in Los Angeles and then about 11 years ago we moved to Fontana where we bought our first home and it was one of the most happiest days of our lives. We had a really good life for a while and then um, when the economy changed, Glenn had stopped working because of an injury and bills got behind and house note got behind and then eventually um, his check started to be garnished and um, he decided to leave the home. Me and the children were left alone and I had no job and didn't know what I was going to do. It was just pretty bad. It was like, you know, our marriage had hit rock bottom. It was awful. You know, we was always at each other's throat like cat and dogs fighting. 
And uh, it got to a point where I just said, I'm, I'm out of here. I had to leave. We were separated for about six months. It seemed like six years. I call that the desert part of our lives because it took us five years to kind of get ourselves back together. But me and the girls had to um, go live with a friend. And It's like... I got totally removed away from the church, everything. You know, it was just me. It, things got worse. Um, more debt issue, money problems, to a point where I had literally nothing. And the little bit I had, I gave to them so they could stay where they were staying at. And I was pretty much homeless and living out of my car and in parks and parking structures. And uh, nobody really knew, but I kind of just kept it to myself. But it was a pretty low time in my life. And, and my only blessings was the kids I had. And, and you know, they would give me strength to make it through the week because uh, it was a pretty hard time. To be without them, you know, you know, you're just used to taking care of them. And then they're not there anymore. And you're not there providing for them. You know, you don't feel pretty low. So I think more than anything, our emotions were just so confused. But at the same time, it was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. Being a product of a broken home and my parents were divorced, I always wanted something different from my children. My wife told me Dad wanted to talk to me, and I tried to stay away from him as much as possible. And he said, he said, uh, Glenn, if uh, Christians don't get divorced. And that kind of just resonated with me and just stuck in my mind the whole time. And for me, it was like between Pastor Dan and God, something had to work. So I just prayed and, and kind of developed a relationship with him, and he showed me the way. You know, the Holy Spirit kept working on me. I just prayed about it and prayed about it, and uh, finally we worked it out, and I came home. We prayed for him to have a change of heart. And so what we had to do, though, we had a court date. It was our final court date to be divorced. So we had to go to that meeting, go to court, sat in there, whole room full of people getting divorced. They called our name, you know, Glenn and Marie Rougeau, and we both had to stand up and say, we've decided not to get divorced. And everyone in the court stood up and clapped. And the, um, who was the, the guy? Baylor's the bailers said, yeah, don't come back. And we don't want to <laughs> see you again. <laughs> The Lord has really been good to us through prayer and faith. Uh, he has brought us back together, and I'm just so glad to have our family back together. And now I realize how much God really loves us. Amen. We serve a God that makes the impossible completely possible. We serve a God that has unlimited forgiveness, unlimited grace. 1 John 3, 1 says, how great is the love the Father's lavished on us. Friends, if you're here tonight and your marriage is struggling mightily, we serve a healing, delivering, miracle-working God. I don't care where your relationship is at tonight, God is a healer, amen? I want to give you another principle underneath that. It's very simply this. If you as a couple aren't talking, you can bet the devil is. Woo! Man, I guarantee, couples, if you aren't having 
open communication with your spouse, beat your spouse on the head. No, I'm just joking. That's what Kelly does and it seems to work for me. Friend, I want to tell you, if you and your spouse aren't having open, honest, heartfelt communication where your spirit is connecting to their spirit, I'm telling you, if you won't connect to them, the devil will. And let me give you a a, a possible thought that the Lord put on my heart you might not have heard of. If you want to be blessed in your marriage, you know what you have to do? you got to speak to it. Well, what do you mean, Barry? Speak to my marriage. Let me ask you this. When Jesus encountered the winds and the waves, what did he do? He spoke to the waves. When Jesus cursed the fig tree and it died, what did he do? He spoke to the fig tree. When Jesus, many times when he would heal people, what did he do? He would speak to the healing. When he would encounter demons, what would he do? He would speak to the demons and cast them out. And, and can I tell you, if you want to be blessed in your marriage, speak to your marriage. Today at 37,000 feet above land, I was kind of just going through this marriage and I was just speaking to my marriage with Kelly. I hate being away from Kelly. And I'm just speaking, Lord, I just speak blessing over our marriage. God, I just speak uh, total forgiveness over our marriage. God, I just speak unconditional love over our marriage. God, I speak an intimacy over our marriage. God, I speak a deep level of friendship over our marriage. I'm preaching better than your amen, but that's okay. I know you need this. I know you need it. And friends, I want to encourage you. There's power in our life when we speak to our circumstances. Let me give you one more. Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus is, is forcibly confronted by the devil. Every time he defeated the devil by speaking the word of God to the devil. And friends, I want to encourage you. Do we need to bathe things in prayer? Yes. Do we need to fast? Yes. But there is power when we speak to our circumstances. Let me give you the fourth one. God is intended, very quickly here. Number four, God is intended for your body to be healed. Look at verse number three. It says, and he heals all your diseases. Now, let me give you how healing takes place in our lives. Now, I, when I look at Psalm 103, verse three, where it says, he heals all of our diseases, I don't believe the Bible strictly means physical. I believe the Bible means the holistic person. I believe the gospel is for the whole person, the totality of the person, that Jesus not only saves our soul, but he impacts the way that we live our life. And here's what I want you to get right below that, is that you make choices and God makes changes. Okay, so I want to take a poll here tonight. Would you just humor me? I just want to take a poll. How many of you have been able to successfully change your spouse? Just raise your hand. You just changed them. How many of you have kids and, and you were able to just completely, successfully, totally change your kids. Here's how healing takes place. We make choices, and God makes changes. So for example, if you're in debt, well, your first choice, okay, I'm gonna start tithing. Second choice, I'm gonna start spending only what I have in cash. Third choice, I'm gonna read Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover and put it in place. You start making those choices, guess what God's gonna start doing in your finances? He's gonna start making changes. You're struggling with your relationship with your kids. Well, you make the choice to have one-on-one quality time with them. You make the choice that every time you go by their room, you just outstretch your hand whether they're there or not, and you speak God's blessings over them. 
Lord, I just speak over Johnny that he's got your favor. Lord, I just speak over Jennifer that she's loved by God. Lord, I just speak your plan. And, and what happens is you start making those choices. What do you think God starts doing in those relationships? He starts making changes. And if we want to see God move in our life, we got to realize that we make choices and God makes changes. What's Joshua 24, 15 say? As for me and my house, we will serve. It's a choice. It's a choice. So what happens is we make the choices and God makes the changes. And that second principle is the devil, oh, I love this. The devil doesn't have unlimited resources. God does. The devil does not have unlimited resources. Any area, the devil's attacking you tonight, whether it's small or big. Here's the good news. Devil has limited resources. Over Thanksgiving, uh, Kelly and I, we came back home for Christmas, but over Thanksgiving, we didn't want to spend a load of money just to come back home for two days and then go back to California. So we, went up, we drove up to San Francisco, and I had never been to San Francisco, although I really wouldn't want to live there. It is a beautiful place to visit. And I don't know if you've ever been to New York Central Park. It's a beautiful park, New York Central Park. Well, we went to Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, and what happened is we were taking a tour through there, and the, the lady that was giving us the tour, the man who was giving us the tour told us that it used to be a barren desert, completely barren. And they brought the custodian of the New York Central Park uh, out to look at the Golden Gate Park because they wanted to build this great park. And the guy from New York came out and said, there's nothing we can do here. It's all barren. Well, he went back to New York and they got a man named Brian McLaren. And Brian McLaren, he came into this, this barren desert park and he started implanting things. He implanted new soil. He implanted new bushes. He implanted new trees, not from the region. And guess what happened? It's the largest park in the United States of America, in San Francisco. It's because he saw what could happen, not what was happening. And friends, I want to encourage you, if we when, we, when we walk in God's blessing for our life, it's because we see what could happen, not what is happening. Have you ever watched the news and you just get depressed? I mean, it just makes you want to commit suicide almost. I mean, you just, oh man, you just see all these bad things. It's because we're looking at what is happening and not what could happen. And friends, I just want to encourage you that the devil does not have unlimited resources. No matter what he's doing to attack you, no matter what he's doing to try to bring pain or destruction in your life, his resources are limited and God's are limitless. Amen? Amen. There is so much supernatural power at our disposal, we just got to tap into it. Let me give you the fifth one tonight. Here's the very last one. Fifth one here tonight, God has intended for you to be blessed. Can I get an amen? amen. Woo. God has intended for me to get some Arthur Bryant's barbecue while I'm in Kansas City. Does anybody have a barbecue anointing? Do I have a? You know, I tell you what, here's why I can't visit Kansas City very often. I've been here for four hours and I've gone out to eat twice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> let me just say one more thing real quick. Kelly's birthday was last week and, we, and, and California is just a weird place. We, I took her out to this really nice place called Mario's and we got the, I mean, super, super nice and, you know, this salad. I've not, I, Gene, I couldn't eat it. There was just way too much healthy stuff in it. I've never seen it. No croutons, no cheese, nothing like that. And so, so then we get this other dish comes out, and they were, these really good potatoes. So the, 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 there was a gentleman, and I waved him over. I said, sir, y'all got any ranch? He looked at me and said, oh, no, sir, we don't have any ranch. I'm, and there were potatoes. 
I said, sir, 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 y'all got any sour cream? He looked at me like I was speaking Greek. No, we ain't got no sour cream. I looked at Kelly and said, we are in the wrong place. This is just too nice for us. I have no idea what that has to do with what I'm talking about here. I really don't. I'm going to get here. God has unlimited resources. He does have ranch, amen. And sour cream. What happens is, you know how you're dealing with a man problem? There's always limits. Oh, you'll never get that job. Your marriage can't be healed. Your, your son or daughter won't get saved. You're never gonna get out of debt. You'll never get free from that pornography. You'll never have God's vision for your life. You'll never be fulfilled. You name it. The devil is all, you know how you can recognize the voice of the devil? Number one, it's always with fear. Number two, it's always with limits. And with God, you can recognize the voice of God because it's always with grace and it is always with possibility. Oh, now listen, with grace, there's correction. Ephesians 4.15 says we speak the truth in love. How many times has God spoke the truth in love to you and it hurt? But he speaks it in love. So point number five, God has intended for you to have victory over what you've never had victory over. Look at verse number five. It says, he satisfies your desires with good things. You know what gets us in trouble as humans? When we start getting our desires satisfied with bad things. Have you been there? I have. I've made some really poor choices as a believer and as a non-believer. When we get, start getting our desires satisfied with things that aren't good, there's gonna be sin, there's gonna be regret, there's gonna be repercussions. But here's what God does, is he satisfies our desires with good things. So first of all, the first principle there is pride puts you in a place to get beat up by the devil. That's where pride puts you. That's where pride puts Barry Young. Every stupid mistake I've looked at in my life, I exhibited pride. Does anybody know who Stacy King is? Anybody know who Stacy King is other than Jim and, and Frank? Stacy King was the starting forward on the Oklahoma Sooners when they got defeated and the Kansas Jayhawks won the national title in 1988. One of five national titles that the Lord's team, I mean Kansas Jayhawks have. And so Stacy King, even though he got defeated by Danny Manning and the Jayhawks, he went on to the NBA. Does anybody know what team he went to play for immediately after the Chicago Bulls? Now, how many of you heard of Stacey King before I mentioned his name? Except for the, a few of these manly men, very few people. And, and a manly woman, right? But I see her. And so, but how many of you have heard of Michael Jordan? Raise your hand. Okay, so this is a true story. Michael Jordan, this was early on in his career, when he was just dominating. Michael Jordan, one night, he scored 50 points. And you know, Michael Jordan, that's not that big of a deal, but at the time it was. So as soon as the game's over, all these reporters, who do they want to go talk to? Michael Jordan. So all these reporters, they all go over to Michael Jordan. They want to get his pictures. They want to, uh, uh, they want to interview him, but there's just too many people. 
So they look for somebody they can interview. They want to go interview Scotty Pippen. There's some people over there where one reporter, he wanted to just interview somebody and he found a Chicago Bull named Stacy King. Stacy King scored two points that night. And so he couldn't get to Jordan. He couldn't get to Pippen. So this reporter goes to Stacy King and says, Stacy, can I ask you a question? How does it make you feel? Michael Jordan scores 50 points and you score two points. What are you going to tell your grandkids when you get older? And Stacey King looked right at that reporter and said, I'll tell my grandkids, I'll, I'll never forget the night that Michael Jordan, Jordan and I combined to score 52 points in a game. <laughs> it's called humility. Luke 14, 11 says this, he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. How many know it's easy to humble yourself as opposed to God to do it? But when we get prideful, I want you to, this isn't in your notes, once we get prideful, we cut off the blessing of God in our lives. It's immediately cut off. We get prideful in our marriage, it's cut off. In our finances, in our private life, in our thought life, once we get prideful, it's cut off. I want you to look at that second principle. God is always, and I want you to receive this, God is always in the position to give, but are we always in the position to receive? Do you know what a famous preacher said one time? He was getting interviewed by a television station and this preacher preached that God could divinely heal people and this preacher was asked by this television reporter, why is it that God doesn't heal everybody? And this preacher said, it's not that God doesn't heal. It's not the problem in the giving, it's the problem in the receiving. Sometimes we don't position ourselves to be blessed. Woo, don't shout me down, I'm preaching good tonight. You've got to position yourself to be blessed. You've got to position yourself to succeed. You've got to position yourself if you want to have God's favor. And how do we position ourselves? We've talked about earlier, we yield. We yield to the things of God or to the things of the flesh. I want to give you what to close with tonight or what to take home. There's four things as we close here tonight. First of all, I want to promise you God has intended for you to be blessed. Can I get an amen? amen. God has intended for you to be free from sin. Amen. God has intended for your marriage to be whole. God has intended for your body to be healed. God has intended for you to have victory, what you could never have victory over. But I want to give you four things to close with tonight that I want you to take home. If you only hear four things, here they are. Number one, the thing that we worry about the most is what we're most devoted to. When we allow ourselves to worry, we allow ourselves to get devoted to things we shouldn't get devoted to. Here's what John 14, one says. John 14, one says this. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Do you know who determines if you worry? You do. Listen to Jesus' words one more time. John 14, one. Do not let your heart be troubled. I'm gonna repeat one story. Some of you may or may not have heard it. It's the only story I can think of that talks about apprehending your promises. You've gotta apprehend your promises. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. You gotta apprehend them. Okay, now I'm not gonna give you the name of this person. He is a balding preacher though. When he was in third grade, 
Have you guys ever heard of field day? Does anybody know what story I'm fixing to tell? Raise your hand if you know what story is coming. Okay, only three people. Just build a bridge and get over it. Okay, so here we go. So, so we're, we're fixing to be done here. Just stay with me just a couple more minutes. So this now balding older preacher, when he was in third grade, he just wasn't a great athlete. And have you guys ever heard of field day? When you were in elementary school, field day was when they would not have classes and you'd do like the three-legged race, the 50-yard dash, and this, this little third grader was kind of chubby. And uh, he looked at, he, he was chubby, but you can be chubby and still be smart, amen? amen. <laughs> he looked at, because they had a sign-up sheet and he didn't want to do, because they only gave ribbons for first, second, and third. So the little chubby third grader, he looked at the 50-yard dash. Oh, man, there's 10, 15, 20 people signed up. No chance. The little chubby third grader, he looks at the three-legged race. Here was the problem. Nobody wanted to race with him, so he couldn't do that. So he looks at all these things, and he finally sees one where there's only four people signed up. And the little chubby third grader thinks, ooh, he thinks he's got the best odds because if he signs, five people are running, Three people get ribbons. The only problem was it was the full mile run. <laughs> and how many know that ignorance is bliss? All the third grader paid attention to was all he had to do was defeat two people and get a ribbon. And if you don't know, in a, in a regular track, that's four laps around the, the track to get a... So... They all line up, the chubby third grader and the other four students. Boom! The whistle's blown. And the third grader, you ever have it where you just can't comprehend? The third grader can't comprehend what exactly a mile is. He just knows that once the finish line is there, then it's over. So that third grade chubby kid, boom! He's full out sprinting, just going through there, kicking butt, taking names, and he just zooms by the other four kids. And, and all the crowd, they're going wild. They're cheering. And, you know, everybody loves the underdog, don't they? Well, it gets close to that first mile, and this little chubby third grader's got no juice in the caboose. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the other four kids who have just kind of trotted, first one goes by, and um, the chubby kids start having pains in his side. And, you know, when you got those... Uh, love handles at third grade, that's difficult. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and all of a sudden, the second person goes by, and now we're getting close to the second lap, and third person goes by. And you ever just seen a car that's broke down by the road? This, this third grader resembled a car just broke down by the road. He just starts walking, and the fourth person goes by, and now instead of everybody clapping, they're starting to laugh. And you know, sometimes when you're a kid, words can, I mean, words hurt when you're an adult, much less a third grade kid. So people start kind of laughing and third grade kid can hear him chuckling and the other four students, they're ahead of him. And it's getting to about the third lap. And have you ever seen, you got that oval track, but there's one area where you can just keep running straight and go out of the, go out of the arena. And this chubby kid, he starts to just do a little bit and his thought is, he's just gonna run straight out of the arena. And just as he gets to that straight part, he notices that the people in third and fourth place have a major collision. And they look like they might be injured, praise the Lord. I mean, <laughs> that there could be an unforeseen accident. 
And all of a sudden, the third grade kid, all of a sudden, he just gets, oh my goodness, and he starts kicking it back in because he's only got one more lap. And all of a sudden, everybody, the crowd starts to get excited, and those two kids that are down injured, they're about to get made fun of because they're fixing to get beat by the chubby third grade kid. And they start trying to get up, and, the, and as the ch- third kid, ch- kid, he just kind of chugs by, they start to get up, and now it's a full-on sprint. And that chubby kid got the third medal and still has it today you know what that third grade kid did he apprehended his promise and you and me in our lives we either believe and receive or we doubt and do without we either forcefully advance or we get defeated I want you to look at the second one here tonight. If I could have, I don't know. Pastor Nick, could I have you come and play softly? Number two, partnership with God equals greater possibility. Partnership with God, it equals greater possibility. Once we begin to partner with God, once we allow him to take over, once we submit to him, once we give him rulership and authority in our lives, now all of a sudden possibility begins to take place. Let me give you the third one tonight. What should you take home? Number three, I'm gonna be quick. If you don't say it, you probably won't see it. I just believe in this. I'm not a, a word of faith preacher, but I do believe in declaring God's word over my life. I do believe if God says it, I'm gonna believe it. Somebody finish that old hymn. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. I'm standing... I believe in that. And you know what we have to do over our lives? If we don't say it, we probably won't see it. So if we're not speaking God's blessing over our finances, we're probably not gonna see that debt reduced. If we're not speaking God's word over our bodies, we might not see healing. If we're not speaking God's word, and you name the area. Let me give you the fourth one. And this is the best one. Jesus has already solved our biggest problem. He has already solved it. He has already solved it. Do you know how he solved it? It's John 6, 47. I want you just to memorize this or put it in your heart. These are Jesus' words, John 6, 47. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. You know what, no matter what problems, and there's horrible problems in this world, it all pales in comparison to a life after this life without Christ. Jesus has solved our greatest problem. Have you ever looked at scientists? Here's three big problems with scientists. They can't answer the biggest problems in this world. They can't tell us where we came from, they can't tell us what our purpose is, and they can't tell us what's gonna happen after we die. Only Jesus has those answers. So Jesus has solved our greatest problem. And I don't even want to quote this. I just want to read it to you because I don't want to mess it up. I want you to hear what Revelation 21, 27 says. Here's what it says, and I'm closing with this. Nothing impure will ever enter the kingdom of God, 
nor will anyone who is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Does God want you blessed in this life? Yes. Can you apprehend your promises in this life? Yes. But ultimately, God wants you in eternity with him. And this verse that I just read you is the scariest verse in the Bible. Those who do not put their faith in Christ, and I love you, their names will not be written in the Lamb's book of life, and they will have an eternity of punishment. But Jesus has solved our greatest problem. I love you, and I thanks for being here tonight. I know I've gone a little long. But I just believe the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you tonight, apprehend your promises. Would you bow your hearts with me in prayer? Lord, I just thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I am completely honored. I don't deserve to speak here tonight.